0: Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chespril Baptist Church, continuing in our series on Avoiding Confusion. The title of the message this morning is Gospel-Driven Sanctification. There's a lot of confusion about this thing in the Christian life called sanctification. How do we as Christians become holy? Is there a right way to become holy? Is there a wrong way to become holy? We explore this and more in today's message. Please enjoy. All right, take your Bibles and turn to First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five, Zane you did a wonderful job, a lot better than I did in a recital uh, back in the day. So it's a lot, lot better than I did. So good job, good job. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I want to thank all of our visitors for being in the service today. I promise I won't keep you for two hours, maybe one hour, but not two. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I won't take, you, keep, take up too much of your time this morning. We're in a Sunday morning series called Avoiding Confusion, and we're trying to clear some confusion out about some dispar- different aspects of the Bible, some different aspects of the Christian life. There's this one area that I feel that our churches are very confused in today. And it's this area called sanctification. There is a lot of confusion when it comes to sanctification in the Christian life. How does sanctification work? If you don't understand what sanctification is, I'm going to explain that to you in just a second. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you'll indulge me one last time, I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God. We'll read one verse, pray, and then sit back down. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 23, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, Without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The title of the message this morning is Gospel Driven Sanctification. Gospel Driven Sanctification. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for giving us the opportunity to come into your house and listen to your word. And I feel the power, I ask the power of God would fill this place today. And Lord, may you show us something from the Word of God today that can help us live as better Christians. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. That's kind of the point of the message today. The point of the message today is I want us to become better Christians. And I I can tell you that as a nine-year-old boy... I accepted Christ as my savior. I can remember back when I was 9 years old and and and, and I was Uh, I would go to children's church every week and many times I would go down to the altar and I would go to the front and I would go down just because all the other kiddos went down and I would go down there just because I saw my friends go down to the altar and one time even the pastor's son took me in the pastor's office and prayed with me and led me through the sinner's prayer and showed me all the verses but I didn't get saved. I wasn't ready for that. Then it wasn't not too long after that, on a Sunday night, I came to the appointment. It was on a Sunday night in the fall when I was nine years old that I realized it finally hit me that I was a sinner. It hit me that there was a penalty for my sin. And it hit me that Jesus Christ paid for that penalty on the cross. I realized that I was a sinner. I realized what that meant. And it was on that night that I accepted the gospel. I accepted Christ and His work on the cross in my life. And I accepted the gospel and I got saved. It wasn't too long after that, a few years later at 13 years old, I surrendered to preach and I surrendered to Spread the gospel that I accepted, this gospel that had changed my life, this gospel that had that had changed my eternal destination, this gospel that has redefined everything about me. I, I was called to preach that gospel, but preachers aren't the only ones that share the gospel. Everybody. Everybody, every Christian is to share the gospel. Because let me tell you something. You know why you share the gospel? The gospel is mighty. The gospel is wonderful. The gospel is glorious. There's nothing like the gospel in all the world. But churches have a problem today. Churches have a problem with the gospel. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. Let me tell you something, how great and mighty and wonderful the gospel is this morning. I'm here to tell you today, not only can the gospel save a sinner from a devil's hell, but did you know that the gospel can take booze away from the drunkard? Did you know that the gospel can take drugs away from the addict? Did you know that the gospel can take immorality away from the fornicator? Did you know that... that, that that the gospel can take pain away from the hurting. The gospel can take abuse away from the abuser. The gospel can take stealing away from the thief. The gospel can take the depression away from the depressed. The gospel has that power. Well, how in the world can the gospel do all of those things? I'm going to tell you how today. The gospel is a wonderful thing. But we do not use the gospel for all it's intended to be used for. We don't. We get saved and then we're done with it. We move on with our life and we never look back to it. The gospel is so much more. We can use the gospel message for so much more than what we use it for. The gospel can do more than just save you. Let me show you today. The Gospel is the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest story ever told. I, wanna, I just wanted to read one verse in Isaiah 53, but I love this chapter so much, I'm going to read one, more than one verse to you. Who hath believed, our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him... But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone into his own way. The Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christian, do you understand this morning? You understand how badly you needed a Savior. You understand this morning how absolutely desperate your need was. Your need was absolutely desperate. We were lost without hope. No one to turn to. Sin had overtaken our lives and taken us over. The Bible says we were like sheep. You know what sheep are like? Sheep are stupid and sheep are stubborn. We were like sheep and we were all going in our own way and there was no shepherd to show us the right way and we were all going in our different way and that's what we were like before Christ came into our life. Let me tell you something about my sin. My sin is horrible. My sin is terrible. My sin is dreadful and so is yours. Our sin is so incredibly terrible and dreadful and horrible. I was on my way to hell, but He saved me. The Father called me for salvation, He called me for salvation. See, the Bible says when Jesus was on the cross, the Father laid our iniquity on him. He laid my sin on Jesus while he was on the cross. And not only did he lay my sin, but he laid your sin, and he laid your sin, and he laid your sin. All of our sins were laid on Jesus at the cross. And you know, it was a partnership. It was a partnership, you see, because He, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions and the Father was the one who laid iniquity upon Him. See, the cross was a partnership between the Father and the Son. What a wonderful message this is. I'm here to tell you today how wonderful the gospel message is. Why? Because we're all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why? For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The Gospel message this morning is wonderful. It is great. It is, I can't think of a greater thing than the Gospel message. It is so powerful. I, I, at nine years old, accepted Christ as my Savior. I accepted this thing called the Gospel. I turned away from my sin. I repented from my sin. And in repentance, I turned to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what the Gospel is this morning. Those people, when they, you know what Christians do when they hear that preached in church? Well, that preacher's preaching on salvation again. I've been saved for 20 years. Well, I guess I'll just, I'll get my message next week. I'll just sit here and listen to him preach. Oh, it's a big day. It's a big day. Preacher's going to preach on salvation again. I'll just bide my time and nod and I'll just wait, get my message next week. How we think, think I'm saved. Why do I need the gospel? The gospel is powerful today. Show you something, though, about the gospel that makes it unique. I want to show you the gospel has nothing to do with you. The gospel has nothing to do with me. The gospel is a work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's why the gospel is so powerful. It is not of us. It is a work of Christ. Galatians 6.14 But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified uh, to me and I to the world. You know what Paul is saying to the legalists of his day? You know, legalism is, oh, you got to follow all these rules to be right. Know what what Paul is saying to the legalist of his day? He is saying, I cannot boast in my salvation because I did nothing to get it. I did nothing to receive it. It is not a work of me. Salvation is a work of the cross. Psalm 62 and verse 2, He only is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold I shall not be greatly shaken. Isaiah 12 and verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Can you see today, Christian, that this great thing that we call the gospel, the thing that saves us and brings us to an eternity in heaven, is a work of Christ? It is not a work of us. You know what the Bible says over and over and over again? You know what it says? It says, The just shall live by faith. That's it. You live your life by faith. You live eternally by faith. All the life in us is by faith. Faith and faith alone. I don't have to work for my salvation. I didn't have to work to get it. I don't have to work to keep it. My salvation from beginning to end is a gift from God. You understand that the Bible even says that the repentance that I need for salvation is a gift from God the Father. So the repentance that I need to turn in faith to Jesus, that repentance comes to me from the Father. Now Don't get me wrong. I'm not a Calvinist. If you want me to go back and re-preach that hour and a half message, I preached on it, I'll do it. Okay? Don't get me wrong, I, I'm not a Calvinist, but I'm not an Armenian either. I'm neither. Why? Let me tell you why. This Bible teaches that I'm elect. You can't get around that. This Bible teaches that I was predestined for salvation, that God chose me. That's what this Bible teaches. He chose me to receive salvation. He laid it all out in my life. He brought me to the place of salvation. He made me ready. He set the table. He invited me in. He set the meal in front of me. He put people in my life to bring me to that point where I would be saved. I am predestined to be saved. I am predestined for heaven. I am the elect. The Bible teaches that. But you know what the Bible also teaches? The Bible also teaches that I had a choice, that I have a choice. It's my choice. I have free will. The Bible teaches that. You know why? Because it says how we are elect. We are elect through the foreknowledge of God. He chose me because I chose him, and I chose him because he chose me. That almost sounds like two people getting married, doesn't it? That sounds like a husband and wife. One didn't choose the other by themselves. They both chose each other. And that's what our relationship, that's what our relationship, i seen some elbows when I said that. Our relationship with the Father, we chose each other. The Bible teaches election. The Bible teaches predestination, but it also teaches free will. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose who you will serve. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So guess what? If the Bible teaches both, I believe both. A Calvin Armenian, I guess you'd call me, because I believe both. But here's the point of all that. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Your salvation, my salvation is a gift. Guess what? I don't have to go to church to get it. I don't have to go to church to get it. I didn't have to be baptized in order to receive it. I didn't have to take the sacraments for it. No man in a long flowing white robe can give it to me. I don't have to tithe for it. It is absolutely free. All I have to do is have faith in it. All I have to do is believe in it. All I have to do to receive the gospel is have faith in the gospel and believe the gospel. So what does that mean? That means legalism and the gospel do not mix. You don't believe me, read the book of Galatians sometime. Legalism, which is you have to follow these moral rules in order to receive something. Legalism, And the gospel do not mix on any level. They don't mix. There's no room for legalism in the gospel. And that's what makes the gospel so great. My salvation is not of me. My salvation is a result of his work on the cross. But we have a problem with our churches today. And this problem is the reason I'm preaching this message. Here's here's the problem. Christians believe that the gospel is for non-believers only. They believe that. Once I get saved, I have no other need for the gospel. I have no need from it anymore. And because Christians believe that they have no need for the gospel after salvation, then... We're messing up on our sanctification. There's no gospel driven sanctification. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Gospel driven sanctification. What does it mean to sanctify? Sanctify means to set apart, means to consecrate. It means to become holy. When a Christian is sanctified, sanctification is the process through which a Christian becomes holy. Now, this is daunting. It's very daunting. I'll tell you why it's daunting. Hebrews 12, 14, listen to this. Pursue peace with all people and the holiness without which none will see the Lord. Ooh. Ooh. Did you hear what that just said? Did you hear it? No one can see God without holiness. I can't have a relationship with the Father unless I'm holy. That's a problem.
1: <laughs> I ain't
0: holy. I am not holy. I have a ho- hush, woman. I have a holiness problem. I have a problem now. I, 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 you know, um, I have a problem because I'm not holy. When I was born, I was born very, very unholy. I was born a sinner. I will die a sinner. So now I have a holiness problem. How do I get holy now? How do I do it? Well, if the verse in Hebrew stopped there, we'd be in some trouble. But I'm thankful for the first statement of the next verse. The first statement of the next verse sheds some light on this problem, on this holiness problem. In Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Now you can look at the punctuation in these verses and you can see that all these ideas are connected. It's all one big long chain of connected ideas. So hold on a second. You mean to tell, what is What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. So you mean to tell me that my holiness is connected to God's unmerited favor? That my holiness is connected to God's grace? Oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that, that's not my understanding of holiness. I thought holiness was something I had to do. I got to follow the rule book. That's how I get holy, right? Man I, man, I have to get out the rule book and, and I have to follow the rule book. After all, that's what the Bible is, right? The Bible's is just, just one big long rule book. It's just a list of, of do's and don'ts and, and that's what this is. I have to follow the rule book to get holy, right? We well, see, here's the thing. Look, there are rules in the Bible, but the primary function of this book is not a rule book. That's not the primary function of this book. The primary function of this book is Christ's redemptive work on the cross, including our sanctification. Let me tell you something. That's the gospel. The cross on Calvary, Jesus, that's the gospel. Before you got saved, everything led you to the cross. After salvation, everything flows from the cross. See Christians make a mistake when they get saved and they never look back at the cross. Christians make a mistake when they get saved and they don't care about the gospel anymore. Oh, this message about is about salvation today. I guess it doesn't apply to me. I've been saved for 25 years. So this salva, this salvation message doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm here to show you today that you're wrong. You're wrong. Because everything in your Christian life flows from the cross. It flows from the gospel message. After a Christian gets saved, they can make two mistakes. After, a Christian gets, after somebody gets saved, they can make two mistakes. Number one, they assume that this is just a rule book. You have to learn what it says, and you have to do what it says. There's going to be a pop quiz. You better study up all night, study on your rule book. You better get in there, and you better make a list of do's and don'ts, and you better study this and, and know it. And, you know, that's why new converts drop off, because they look at that's very a daunting task. They look at how thick that book is, and you say, I got to learn all that. I got to do all All that, that's impossible for me to learn all that. And you know what? It is. It's impossible for you to do it. It's impossible for you to do it. But you know where we fail these new converts? You know we fail these brand new Christians? Is we don't tell them, we don't tell them that the Holy Spirit will not only guide you through it, but the Holy Spirit will enable you to do it. We think they have to do it all on their own. So that's the first mistake that a new christian makes here's a second mistake they assume that god's acceptance of them and his blessing is based on how well you follow the rules i am they think i am accepted by god and i am receive the blessings of god and i'm in favor with god based on my performance based on how well I obey the rules. Let me tell you something. If your salvation doesn't come from you, your sanctification doesn't come from you either. Your salvation comes from the gospel and your sanctification comes from the gospel. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you Entirely. Not a little bit. Not a piece. God sanctifies you entirely. Paul is telling us sanctification is not a work of you. Sanctification is a work of God. It's God's work in us. You can't get sanctified on your own. You can't get holy on your own. And you're not supposed to. There are churches and denominations All over that are pushing legalism after salvation, legalism for sanctification. Oh, you've got to follow this rule. Look at what so and so is wearing. Look at what they're listening to. Look at what they're doing. How can they come in here looking like that? What kind of language are they using? That's not how you get close to God. Legalism, legalism, legalism. Let me explain. So let me share my heart a little bit with you. and I know I got some visitors in here today. You caught the the lucky straw. (laughs) I'm going to explain some of the legalism that me and my family came out of. Me and my family, before we came to this church, we grew up in an IFB church. IFB stands for Independent Fundamental Baptist. Okay, That's the church we grew up in. Now, here's the thing: the IFB movement started back in the '40s when a lot of a good good swath of Baptist pastors pulled out of the convention. A lot of good pastors stayed in. Okay, but a a lot of pastors pulled out of the of the of the convention and started this movement. Now before I go into some things that we had to deal with, let me first preface this and say that not everybody in the IFB movement believes this way. This is just a generality of most churches. There are some good people that are independent fundamental Baptists. There are good churches. There are good pastors. There are good missionaries. All, they exist. But for the most part, it's what the IFB movement stands for. Now, they're not legalistic on their salvation, but I still wanted to get out. And, and you know, it's kind of like hindsight 2020. You really don't know what happened until you look back. And looking back now, I understand what pushed me out of that movement and what pushed me out of those churches. And it's the legalism that came after salvation. It was the legalism for sanctification. There were so many rules, so many rules you had to follow. These rules were tradition, they weren't in the Bible. Oh, this is how great granddaddy did it. This is how my mom, my, mom, my grandma's pastor did it. So that's how we're gonna do it. And then it's men's preference. Preference. And what was going on in these churches that I was attending is preferences were being preached as doctrine. My wife never wore pants until we came to this church. I don't know if you know that or not. But my wife did not wear pants in public until we came to this church. I didn't have facial hair until I was 30 years old. I wasn't allowed to. Facial hair is a sign of rebellion. I'm pretty rebellious, ain't I? <laughs> hey, is that a chapter and verse in the Bible? No. But Jesus had a beard. No, he didn't. They plucked his three-day shadow. I'm serious a heart attack. I'm serious as I had a heart attack. That, that was preached as Bible, as doctrine. We weren't allowed to go to the movie theater. We couldn't go to the movies. Legalism. Oh, but, oh, you know, because if you go in there and you're going to go see a PG movie, but there's an R-rated movie playing, nobody knows what you're going to play, what you're going to go watch. But the pastor could go to Blockbuster. That's a dated reference. (laughs) The pastor could stand in front of a red box. The pastor could stand in front of a red box and know, and it's the same movie, just one's in a theater and one's in his house. I thought, saw a lot of hypocrisy in that. The King James Bible, not version, the King James Bible was the only Bible. Other versions weren't versions, they were perversions, devil Bibles. In fact, in fact, Most churches, IFB churches, taught that if somebody led you to the Lord out of a Bible that wasn't King James, you weren't really saved. I'm serious. a heart attack. They used that verse, the corruptible seed, incorruptible seed. It's a gross misinterpretation of that verse. They believed in the Baptist bride. Only IFB churches were the bride of Christ. Sorry, Southern Baptists. You could be guests at the wedding, but you weren't the bride. I'm serious. This is real, this is, am I telling the truth? I had to wear white dress shirts when I preached. If I was to come up there in a blue shirt like this, liberal i would be called a liberal if I didn't wear it preaching a white dress shirt. Contemporary music was of the devil. Casting crowns was devil music. It was bad. You didn't do it. That's why I had kind of a hard time adjusting to contemporary music when I came to this church, because I'd never heard it before. But, you know, the thing is, is you could take a contemporary song written by a contemporary artist, put it to piano music, and if the pastor liked it, he'd let it slide through. You see, legalism. But it's, it's not just in IFB churches, it's in every church, it's in every denomination. People that say you have to follow these rules or you can't be close to God, that is not how it works. That's not how it works. I don't have to stand in front of a mirror and try to make myself look holy before I go to church and hope it sinks in. That is not how it works. You go to church, you abide in Christ, and that holiness grows out. It has no choice. It has to grow out of you. People fall into this trap that I can get holy on my own. Because they think that the gospel is just for unbelievers, that the gospel is for believers too. Brother Barrett, will you keep talking about that? How can the gospel help me be sanctified? I'm getting to it. I'm get, I promise you. I promise you. I'm getting to it. Galatians two twenty, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. i the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You can try as hard as you can. You can give it your absolute best effort, but I guarantee you, you will probably never, never be a better Christian than Paul was. Never. You can try as hard as you can, and you will never be a better Christian than Paul was. And what did Paul say? He lived every day by faith and the shed blood and righteousness of Christ. Even though he was such a good Christian, he did not look at his own performance to have a relationship with the Father. He looked at Christ's performance to have that relationship. Do you know why even saved Christians need to hear the gospel often? I'll tell you why. Because it reminds us that a relationship with God the Father is not based on what we do. Our relationship with God the Father is based on what Christ did for us. You understand that we here today, we here today stand as righteous as we will ever be, even in heaven. Why? Because I am clothed in the righteousness of of His Son. Even if I die and I go to heaven and I never sin again, my righteousness will never be as good as the righteousness of his son. You can't have any better righteousness than that, than that. I stand today as righteous before God as I will ever be. I don't need to perform to be accepted by God. I am free to serve him. I am free to obey him. Why? Because I am already accepted. I am already accepted. People think, man, I can't go to church. I have, all the, I have to do all those things. I can't do all those things. Not yet. Maybe one day you will. It won't happen overnight. But you got to start somewhere. Romans 8.1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. So with this in mind... Guilt isn't my motivation to live for God. Now it's gratitude. Guilt isn't my motivation. Gratitude is my motivation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Brother Brett, you're preaching easy believism. Man, Brother Brett, if if Jesus saved me and Jesus is going to sanctify me and there's nothing for me to do. And I can sit at home and I can go live in my, who cares about getting my sin right? If God's, if Jesus done everything for me and if I'm going to go to heaven, no matter what I do, then I'm just going to go live and, and sin and, and do all this stuff. And who cares? Who cares if that's not how it works? That's not how it works. James 1.22 still says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. You still have to do. But see, here's the thing. Paul addressed this too. You see, Paul had been saying in the Bible, all of this stuff, Jesus saved you. Jesus is going to sanctify you. Jesus is going to make you holy. And then people are saying, oh, well, then I can go. If we've got so much grace, I can go live how I want to live. He addressed it. In Romans 6.1, what, uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And what did he say in verse 2? No! He said, God forbid. He said, far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in sin? Well, Paul, if if I don't have anything to do, if Jesus is going to do it all, I can just go live in my sin. I've got unlimited grace. I can just go live in the world like I used to live. And Paul says, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the gospel. That's not how it works. You see, you don't realize that you died to sin. And if you died to sin, you cannot continue to live in sin. It's impossible. It is impossible for a saved, born-again believer to live in sin. Why? Because you have died to the penalty of your sin. You have died to the guilt of your sin. And you have died to the dominion of sin in your life. Sin no longer has dominion in your life. You are dead to sin. Now, this doesn't mean that you will never sin again. Christians will always struggle with their sin. Christians will always fall into, into sin. But a saved, born-again Christian cannot go back to the old life and stay there. They can't do it. If they did, they weren't saved. A saved, born-again Christian cannot go back to the old life because they go back to the old life and something inside them says, this isn't right, this doesn't feel right, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You're not a citizen of this world anymore. You're a citizen of heaven. They don't belong there anymore. Paul describes the old life in Ephesians 2. I'm almost done. And you were dead in your sins and offenses in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Listen to this. Among them who we too previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature the children of wrath, Just as the rest, just as everybody else. A Christian can't go live in sin and stay there. Why? They're not a slave to sin anymore. Who are they a slave to? They're a slave to Christ. I'm I'm saved. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm a slave to Christ. So when I go back to that old life, something pulls me back. The Holy Spirit tugs on me and pulls me back to God, pulls me back to relationship with Him because I'm dead to that sin. Okay, so here we go. I'm dead to sin. Sin no longer has dominion in my life. How is that going to help me live a gospel-based pursuit of sanctification? The answer is in Romans 6.11. Answers in Romans 6.11. 6, I want you to listen to this verse as I read it to you. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's why that verse is so interesting. Paul's not telling us to do anything. Paul's telling us to believe something. He's not telling us to do. He's telling us to believe. You see, when you are saved, you are dead to sin, whether you believe it or not. You are dead to sin, but the effects of your death to sin can only be realized when we believe it's true. That's why he says to consider that, to think about it, to ponder it, to be reminded of it often. Because the only way you're going to live out the effects of being dead to sin is if you, if you think about it and if you believe it, if you believe it to be true. Say, so Brother Brett, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm say, you're saying that I'm dead to sin, but Brother Brett, I still struggle with sin every day. How can you say I'm dead to sin when I struggle with sin? That's the key word struggle. Saved people struggle with sin, lost people don't. See, if you're saved, you will struggle with sin. You're going to struggle because a believer struggles with sin. Lost people don't struggle with sin. Oh, they may try to, they may try to quit a bit a bad habit or something like that, but they, that's all they see it as. They don't see it as a sin against the holy God. They don't. Believers, on the other hand, we struggle with sin. We see our sinful, we hear our sinful thoughts and we see our sinful words and we consider our sinful deeds and we know it's a sin against an almighty God and we feel guilty because of it. That's when we look back to the cross. That's when we look back to the gospel. And when you feel guilty, when you messed up and you fail and you're down and you've tried over and over and over and that sin has overcome you and that sin has overcome you and you just feel like you want to give up, you look back to that cross, you consider that gospel. When I got saved, I became dead to sin. The dominion of sin does not exist in my life. I am free from its penalty. I am free from its guilt. I am free from its dominion. And you get back up and you try again. That is gospel-based sanctification. You have to believe the gospel. You will struggle with sin for the rest of your life. Sin cannot reign over you, though. It can't. You may try to go back and live that old life, but you won't be able to. You'll have to come back. Now, look, the success of our struggle with sin begins when we believe deep down in our hearts. No matter the struggle, no matter the failure, there is no condemnation with us. There's no condemnation with us. Therefore, there, there is now no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let me end by saying this. You cannot get holy overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, a new Christian doesn't walk in the back door. We give him a rule book to follow to be accepted here. That's not how it works. Holiness does not happen overnight. Colossians 2.19, And not holding firmly to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is only fitting because your faith is increasingly abundantly and the love of each other for every one of you toward one another grows greater and greater. So not only does holiness grow over time, but you do also have to pursue it. I'm not saying that there's no effort on your part. I'm just saying the effort mostly is a work of God. You still have to pursue it though. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Therefore, having these promises, beloved, cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, it takes effort on your part, but it takes what I like to call... Dependent effort. It takes dependent effort to be sanctified, to get holy. Hard work that is dependent on Christ, not dependent on you. You try to get holy by yourself, you will fail. You'll fail. You can't do it. But you see, the more you grow in Christ, guess what that's going to do? The more you mature in Christ, the more sinful you're going to see yourself. Don't let that drive you to disappointment. Let it drive you to the cross. In your Christian life, and I'll close with this, in your Christian life, there are going to come times in your Christian life you're going to feel like you're spinning your wheels. And for every step you take forward, you take two back. When that happens, when you feel like you've stalled out, think about the gospel. You have indeed died to the guilt of sin. You have died to the dominion of sin. God doesn't condemn you for sin anymore. Don't let guilt motivate us to live for God. Let gratitude motivate us. Oh, when I consider the cross, When I consider the blood He shed, when I think about what He did for me, Lord, my Christian life is in such a horrible place right now, but I think about the gospel, I think about the cross, and the fact that I am dead to sin. Sin cannot reign in my life because I'm a child of God. That will motivate you to live for Him. That will motivate you to serve Him. And that will put you on the track for sanctification and holiness in your life. It's not about following a rule book. It's about the gospel. If you abide in Christ, holiness will grow. It has no choice. It has no choice if you abide in him.